I have not gone a single week since 9-11 where I have not had someone physically or verbally do something to harass or assault me. And that is a very hard life reality. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, Tahara Taki is our guest. She exudes kindness and compassion and love and inclusion and so many words. I don't have enough. Um, I just, she is, as Mike Bros says in this episode, um, she's my hero too. And she's Mike's hero. So the mental health download starts now. Hello, uh, my name is Mike Gross. I'm the Chief Empowerment Officer with Mental Health Association Oklahoma. Today, our guest is Tahara Taki. Tahara is a board member of Mental Health Association Oklahoma and chairs our communication committee. And it's been my incredible honor, Tahara, to get to know you a little bit better over the last, um, oh, six or seven months, I'd say, something like that. Absolutely. It's been an absolute joy to get to know you and to work with Mental Health Association and all the employees and the clients that you serve. And, you know, it was several months ago, Tahara, you and I went out and had lunch together. And uh, during that lunchtime, um, you know, you told me a little bit, a bit about your personal story. And Uh, I know I was deeply affected by that story, and I asked you about if you would be interested in coming on the download and and, uh, talking a little bit about your story, and you uh, very graciously agreed to thank you for being here, Tahara. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and help however I can in talking more about mental health. Tahar, maybe just uh, for our listeners, just, uh, you know, kind of maybe go back to you were a native of Bahrain. Uh, and you are a Muslim uh, woman, and uh, uh, you uh, moved here um, at a young age, and kind of, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about that background, and we'll kind of, we'll sort of start to move our way forward in time. How about that? Absolutely. Sounds great. So I was born in Bahrain, which is a very small island in the Middle East. It's close to Saudi Arabia, and I was born there in 1994. Um, At the age of two, so 1996, it started to get really dangerous because of a social and political revolt that was happening. And my parents decided they didn't want to raise a daughter in that environment. And so they made the choice to move to the United States and try and build a life that was a safer environment for me, uh, provided more opportunities for me as well. Uh, So we moved to Oklahoma in 1996, and I've been in Oklahoma ever since. Um, So yes, I have been raised as a Muslim American in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, and uh, you know, being a Muslim American uh, female in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it hasn't hasn't always been easy, has it? At times, Tar, I think you've had a wonderful life in many ways. You have a very tight, close family, but not everything has been pleasant, has it? It has not. There's definitely been quite a bit of challenges um, from being in Oklahoma and being raised in an environment that is typically thought of as very conservative and a very Christian environment, um, but also being raised in times where we have had a lot of terrorism happening on a international scale and how that has trickled down into conversations and politics and media across the U.S. And so take a, a little bit of time, Tahar, and just tell us a little bit about, 
I know it sounds like, and again, you can kind of um, timeline in wherever you want, but I know 9-11 was a, a, a significant event that brought about some changes for you, if, I, if, if I've got that correctly. Yes. So at the age of seven is when I started wearing my headscarf, which is called a hijab. And that was August of 2001. Um, so I was a seven-year-old girl attending Jinx. Um, and everything at that point, as you mentioned, it was a great life so far. I'm very close with my family. Um, and at that point, I wanted to make the public declaration of my faith. And so I started wearing that headscarf. Um, as we all know, the following month was 9-11. And my life has not been the same since that day. Um, as a seven-year-old, I can't really comprehend the tragedy that happened and the uh, enormous response that it was going to have on the U.S. not only that day, but for the rest of my life. Um, it was absolutely a tragedy, and it's something that should have never happened. Um, it was an act of extremism that was horrific and caused a lot of lives that were lost. Um but it also was the turning point in my life where I was continued to be seen as someone who is dangerous. Uh, the day that followed 9-11 when I went back to school, I had four young boys come up behind me and pull off my headscarf and they were calling me a terrorist because that's what their parents were saying about me. Um, I also had my best friend at that point get pulled out of my classroom and moved into another classroom because their parents didn't want them to be friends with me. So at a very young age, I started to get this message that I was not wanted, uh, that I should go back to where I came from, even though I am an American, um, because I just am very physically different in the sense that I am visibly a different religion. Um, and from there, it has been a continuous life experience of always being othered and always being seen as being different. Um, I have not gone a single week since 9-11 where I have not had someone physically or verbally do something to harass or assault me. And that is a very hard life reality. Um, and I don't think that it's a reality that is singled out just to being in Oklahoma. I think it is a reality that is very true for a lot of minorities, um, especially being an immigrant and being a Muslim American woman and having that public, public declaration of faith. I think it can be really challenging for a lot of people who have that very noticeable difference to live that day-to-day -day life and not experience some form of bullying or harassment. So a week hasn't gone by since 9-11 that you haven't been in some way, uh, and I'm going to introduce this word, I think at this point, it would be traumatized, various forms of trauma, um, bullying, harassment, uh, physical trauma inflicted upon you. And I think at different times, um, it's included uh, all of those things, if I if I understand that correctly. Absolutely. It's definitely led to uh, anxiety on my part. Um, there's always a fear and a feeling of being unsafe uh, when I am in public spaces. Um, it has always been a challenge to not see myself uh, the way that others have seen me and to not socially isolate myself, knowing how others will look at me and make a quick judgment on who I am and the values that I hold, even though most of those values are not aligned with what they think they are. 
And so it does lead to a sense of trauma and it changes how I view myself. Um, I have had a very long path to having self-understanding and self-love um, and being okay with giving myself the self-care that I think that I deserve. And that comes from uh, an experience where I, I spent years not giving myself that and not loving myself because I was continuing to get messages from the outside and from peers and from people I didn't know that told me that I wasn't wanted, that I wasn't loved, that they wanted me out of their country. And so, I mean, that led to me having an eating disorder for a few years. So I had anorexia. Um, I have struggled with anxiety and um, have had many experiences where I have been isolated by even friends and friends' family because of these messages and because of this trauma. And for those that don't have a supportive family or don't have access to resources, it can lead to extremely difficult situations. It can lead to substance abuse or other forms of mental health disorders um, because you don't have those resources and that support to help you see a different side of yourself. Uh, thankfully, I was in an environment where I had that and I had a lot of support and a lot of resources to help me see that self-love and self-care is important and that it's important to destigmatize anxiety and to talk about trauma and to get help when you have traumatizing experiences. But again, unfortunately, we have so many young students that turn into adults and have had these traumatic experiences, have been on the end of bullying and harassment, and it leads to mental health uh, illnesses as a young adult and into adulthood, as well as a lot of other traumatizing uh, situations. You know, when we talked, I know that you know, you talked about your time at, at, at Jinx Public Schools, and um, you indicated, you said, well, then I was off to the University of Oklahoma, and I kind of took a deep breath in thinking, oh, you know, thank goodness, uh, at university, you certainly, um, that would begin to pass and go away, and to my shock and disappointment and sadness, um, in all honesty, you said it actually got worse. It did. Um, you know, when I went to University of Oklahoma, I also had a hope that things would be different because I knew that it was going to be a larger environment. There would be people from not only Oklahoma, but across the U.S. and across other countries that would come. I know international students is a huge uh, portion of students at OU. And so I was very hopeful that this would be a different environment, that I would be around people who would be respectful and welcoming and inclusive to people who come from a variety of backgrounds. Unfortunately, my experience, as you mentioned, was not that way. Uh, I experienced multitude of hate crimes, um, the same harassment, the same um, assaults continued to happen even when I was at OU. And it was, again, it was a continuation of those traumatic experiences. And it has continued to further that journey of self-care and awareness about mental health and how important it is to focus on that mental wellness and not just a physical wellness. And I know that uh, throughout your story, I know you have always um, uh, mentioned about that, thank goodness, you were, um, um, the, you, you were connected to loving parents and family. And I know that, you know, sometimes we as parents, um, we talk about our sense of protectiveness of our children and our 
um, sadness, our anxiety, our fears about when we feel like we can't uh, protect our children. I think sometimes parents um, also um, don't always realize that their children are also very protective of them. And maybe take just a few minutes and talk about how did that, uh, how did all that play out um, um, with your you and your family, and uh, and knowing that um, you know what did you tell them and what did you try to sort of protect them from? Absolutely, I think to be a Muslim American today means living in the microcosm between two different worlds. It's living in this and existing in this absurd space between being what's classified as exotic and what some people classify me as dangerous. Um, It's between being a victim as well as a a villain. And so people have all these different assumptions. And when I started wearing my headscarf, I would tell my parents about the situations that uh, I was a part of. So when people would say hateful things to me, when they would do uh, hurtful things to me and would harass me. But it got to the point that it continued to happen. And I started to see it as another part of my life. And I could also see the hurt on my parents' face whenever I would tell them. Uh, Because there's only so much that a parent can do to protect their child. Um, And they're not around you at all hours of the day. And so I I didn't want to hurt them uh, with the amount of hatred that I was experiencing. Um, It got to the point that I started to stop telling them certain scenarios because I didn't want them to think that it was that bad for me. Um, I wanted to, in, in effect, protect them from some of my experiences. Um, I will say at this point, my parents will continue to text me every time I go out and make sure that I text them whenever I come home because there is a continued sense of fear that someone will do something to me that will not only affect me in a moment, but that could potentially be deadly. Um, We currently are living in a society where there are a lot of current leaders who are saying a lot of negative things and perpetuating this fear and this hatred of certain identities and certain people. And so I have definitely experienced an increase in the amount of people who uh, feel the need to say or do something hateful to me and let me know their opinions of me. And so there has been a increase in the fear that my parents have for my daily interactions and when I go and live my daily life. So going to work out at the gym, going to work um, every single day, going to hang out with friends on weekends, my parents have a perpetual fear of what others might do to me just because of my identity. And that in itself is a trauma. Um, I have that fear myself. And for some people, that fear can be so debilitating that they don't want to go out and experience life. They will shut themselves indoors and they won't do anything. Um, But I don't want to live my life in that way because I am very proud of who I am. And again, that comes from this sense that I had a lot of support and I have had a long journey of understanding my values and who I fight for. And it's led a lot to my work in the diversity and inclusion space and making sure that everyone from all different identities feels like they have that love and the support and the respect that they deserve no matter what their identity is. You mentioned earlier that treatment of different types was a part of your own journey and um, hopefully uh, your continued recovery. And what role has mental health care played in your 
moving into what you just described as someone who loves themselves, who appreciates who they are, is proud of what they've accomplished, uh, who they, their faith. Maybe talk a little bit about that, uh, Tahara. So I think myself, which is, this is a very common belief among a lot of individuals, there's a heavy stigma when it comes to mental health. So as a young kid, hearing about anxiety, depression, um, you don't think that that will ever affect you. Um, it's not something that you talk about as a young kid. And so it was the same for me. I never thought that I would be impacted by that. Uh, as I got older, you, you kind of start to experience life a little bit more. And in my case, that's when more traumatic uh, incidences were happening. And I had that stigma about myself. Oh, I'm just going through something right now. Oh, this is just a problem. It'll get better. Um, and thinking that only faith is going to be the solution for me. And faith does a lot of wonderful things, and it definitely plays a role in my part of mental health and my part of recovery. Um, but for a lot of individuals, you need more than faith. Um, and that is something that is on an individual basis, and it's something that you have to really look into yourself and see what sort of care you need and what aligns with your spirits and your faith. Um, but for me, that also meant that I needed to look into medication. Um, it means looking into therapy services or counseling. Um, it means looking into what else can I do on the physical aspect of my life to make sure that I'm really treating my body with the care that it deserves so that I can be in whole um, as one person really in my most well-being um, that I possibly can be. And so am I exercising? Am I eating healthy? Um, am I surrounding myself with people who truly care about me? And all of that and looking at all of that and um, really identifying what areas are helpful to me and what areas are helping me move forward and process this trauma and go out on the other side as healing and on this continu continuous healing journey. Um, that means identifying all these different factors and taking the, the time um, and being open that they might all be part of the solution for you and part of your healing journey. What would you say to other young Muslim women and men in terms of who live in this space that we're living in this, this sense of our culture right now where you have so much divisiveness. Uh, you, there's a lot of hate. Social media has become a vehicle for communicating hate in, in a very generalized, stereotyped, prejudiced sort of a way, uh, allowing people to hide behind the anonymity of social media and say, all kinds of things, and some of it's not hidden. Some of the people have clearly identify themselves. Uh, but what, in terms of the, the, your journey, in terms of your advice or, or uh, suggestions for other uh, young Muslim men and women in our culture living in, in the United States of America uh, right now, what, what sort of things would you can, would like to communicate to them? I believe it's really important to know your personal values and to know yourself. Having that self-awareness and that self-understanding makes it really easy to discount the other things that people want to say to you, the hatred that's directed towards you, because you have a better understanding of yourself. And with 
the fact that the messages that others are saying about you and saying to you don't align with your current values. They don't align with what you believe. They don't align with your community. Uh, but it takes having a great self-awareness and self-understanding so that you know that what people are saying is not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of a lack of information and a lack of awareness on their part. Um, that can be really challenging as a young kid. Um, and I think that a big part of helping with that is surrounding yourself with good people, surrounding yourself with people who appreciate um, and love diversity, whether it's diversity of race, diversity of thought, diversity of background, but surrounding yourself with good people who love you for you um, and accept you for you. And I think that will help with that self-awareness journey so that when you do hear this hatred, you can brush it off and continue to move forward in your own personal life's journey and hopefully minimize the impact of the hatred that's directed towards you. Because I think the reality is, unfortunately, we live in a culture where people always want to surround themselves with people who are similar. Um, and that always means that there's a group that is not similar, that another group that's other. And so no matter if you are a Muslim or if you are another faith, there's always going to be an identity that's attached to you that makes you other. Um, in this case, for me, it's that I'm a Muslim American woman, um, but it could easily be that I am a millennial. It could easily be that I am a diversity advocate and an equity warrior. It could easily be um, the fact that we have individuals who identify as LGBTQ. There are a multitude of different identities. And so you really have to think about your values and the person that you want to be and be comfortable with those values and living off of those values. And so when you hear the hate, when you hear the harassment being directed towards you, you can lean back on your values and on your support system to really drive you forward. And even with all that you experienced as a child, uh, adolescence, uh, on into your university days, you somehow always uh, were able, I'm sure it wasn't easy, but to perform academically, and you now are a very, very successful businesswoman in our community. And most uh, until recently, you were uh, with uh, Shockey Turbo Frank. Um, and uh, But take a little time and talk about your educational achievements and your career and a little bit about, you know, uh, what you're currently doing and the work that you're doing right now. Absolutely. So for me, my parents, and I don't know how they did this, um, wonderful parents that they are, they somehow managed to do this and instill this in me, um, but they instilled the value of education. I was never forced and there was never a conversation of you have to go to college and you have to study X, Y, and Z. It was always just a part of discussion growing up and it was a way for me to channel myself into really figuring out my interest and my skills and what I wanted to do long term. Um, I have ever since I was a young kid have loved to volunteer and to be around people and get to hear people's stories. Um, at the age of seven, after the incident happened, uh, when I, and 9-11 happened, I really started to find that I wanted to be around people who were different and people who were typically marginalized or their story wasn't being told. Um, and so I have always wanted to be around people. People energize me. 
And so as I went into uh, OU and tried to figure out what I wanted to study, I started thinking about public relations and communications. Um, my goal was I really wanted to be able to tell the stories that weren't being told. And so I wanted to potentially work for a nonprofit and be able to really make sure that the voices are being told and that I could help with sharing those important stories of everyday people who need our help and support of a community. Um, as I was at OU, I actually was there when the OU SAE fraternity video um, happened. And so as many of you are aware, a fraternity that was at OU's campus um, had a very popular chant that they taught uh, the fraternity brothers, which talked about lynching um, African-Americans. And so it led to this widespread outcry on OU's campus, and that was my last semester at OU. And so they led into the hiring of a chief diversity officer, and this became a conversation. But as I knew, um, people who were different were already being treated differently on campus. It was something I experienced, and it was something that friends from a variety of backgrounds were experiencing. And so as I had my internships and as I started look, looking for a career, I really wanted the opportunity to focus on helping individuals be seen past just their identities, but really being seen for the skills and the opportunities that they have um, and their future that they could potentially have if they are given an opportunity. Um, so I started looking for a job. I was continuing to look for public relations jobs. I wanted to use my power of communication skills. Um, I found a job at a small digital marketing firm. Unfortunately, my first week on the job, I was discriminated against by a client. And um, it didn't lead to a very great environment internally at the company. There was a big disagreement between leadership and myself on whether we should keep that client on staff or not. Um, and so I stayed there for a couple months and then left, and I worked at Schnocky Turnbow Frank. And when I was at Schnocky, we focus on leadership development and on communication. And the big focus whenever I started there and as I talked with leadership is if we're focusing on communication, we will be communicating with people from a variety of different backgrounds. And if we're focusing on leadership and managing other people, then we're going to be leading and managing people who are different. So there needs to be a conversation about diversity and inclusion. And so as we started to really develop these programs internally at Schnocky and then start providing these services externally for clients, we also found the importance of having a community discussion regarding inclusion and diversity. And so we developed an inclusion and diversity consortium in Oklahoma City that grew from 50 members to over 750 members from over 225 organizations to really talk about issues related to inclusion and diversity. Our main goal was that we really wanted to diversify the talent pipeline into companies, organizations, and other entities here in Oklahoma to make sure that we had a variety of different voices being represented and that organizations were um, representative of the communities that they serve. But we also wanted to focus on working with HR and work, focusing, focusing on working with leadership teams to make sure that they had an inclusive culture internally. So looking at HR policies and practices, looking at how you are um, developing your team, how you're managing your team, we really wanted to look at the whole scope of an organization and how you're working with the community. And for me, it's as simple as the fact that everybody is a person, but unfortunately, we're only seen for the identities, and we have a lot of bias. Every single individual has a bias that they carry around with them, and so that can impact the chances, the opportunities, the 
um, access for a lot of resources for individuals who are identified as different. And so I have been on this personal mission to really focus on um, helping with diversity and inclusion. And I recently transitioned, as you mentioned, from Schnocky Turnbow Frank to I am now Senior Project Manager at Urban Strategies. And Urban Strategies is a national nonprofit based out of St. Louis, uh, but they have locations all over the U.S., and they focus on revitalization and redevelopment of low socioeconomic uh, neighborhoods that are severely distressed. And so they focus on housing as a platform uh, to help with getting families and children to be stable and thriving. And I really work in the Eugene Fields neighborhood in West Tulsa. So it's at about 23rd and Jackson. And we are working on the people strategy. So we are helping individuals in these public housing units uh, focus on economic mobility and workforce skills, make sure residents that don't have a high school diploma or a GED uh, can take some free classes so that they can get a GED, which then leads access into employment. We focus on education from a pre-K level all the way up into adult education. Uh, we focus on health and wellness, both physical wellness and making sure that they're seeing primary care physicians to mental wellness, um, to making sure they have fresh access to food. Um, we focus on transportation barriers, on child care barriers, and we're focusing on the housing piece as well. On our focus is we really want to revitalize and redevelopment this, uh, redevelop this area so that it can really allow all of these residents who typically are not given a chance um, or were born into a situation that has led into intergenerational poverty, uh, the opportunity to have resources and have these opportunities to really be successful and thriving. This is kind of a hard question for you, but I'm going to try to tie a couple of things together. So I know in my own life, I had a lot of things happen to me that were traumatic when I was in a younger, more formative age. And for me, it was about, you know, losing my parents at a young age. And as traumatic as it was, and as much as I wish that wouldn't have happened, and uh, I would have been able to have my parents longer in my life. But in a very sort of uh, a strange way, I can, as I get older, look back and recognize a lot of things that happened to me as a young person, I almost in a way prepared me or uh, developed, uh, forced me to develop the internal narratives and resources that I still draw upon to help me do and be successful, hopefully, in my current position in terms of serving uh, mental health care needs across the community and state. I wondered if you if you thought about that at all, and again, uh, you know, not that we would want that, but how much do you draw upon all of that accumulation of experience, and how does it play out in a way that is maybe even helpful to you as you move into your new space, your new employment, your new goals that you just described? That's a great question, and it's definitely something that I have thought about. I think anybody who experiences any form of trauma always asks the question of why me? Um, so why did this happen to me? Why did this happen now? And uh, for me, I've definitely asked that question a multitude of times. Why am I experiencing these situations? Why am I so hated when I try to give back so much to the community? Um, but it's definitely been 
learning experiences for me. All of it is a part of the journey and it definitely hasn't been an easy journey, especially at certain points of time. Uh, But it's all been a journey and I think it's all developed who I am. It's how I have taken these situations and turned it into experiences and really learned from those experiences. I would like to say that even without all of these experiences of harassment and um, assaults, that I would continue to still want to do the work that I am doing and really focus on individuals who are discriminated against, individuals who are marginalized. Um, I would love to say that. I don't know that if that's true or not, um, and there's no way for me to ever know that. Uh, but through my personal experiences, it has helped me gain a lot of empathy. Um, I'm very empathetic to other people and their situations because we never really know what has led them to that point. We never know if it's situations at home, if it is inequitable situations or systems that have put them in experiences that they are currently in. So there's a lot of varying factors that have affected who I am and the work that I do. And so I know that to be very true for other individuals that I interact with. They have had a lifetime of different experiences um, that have led them to be who they are and making the decisions that they've made. And unfortunately, some individuals are born into environments or born into situations that aren't the best environments and aren't the best situations that have led them to um, do things that are seen as negative for themselves and for the community. And I think it doesn't reflect on them as a person. It reflects on the poor systems that we have in place and the fact that they don't have the support and resources to get out of those situations. And so my experiences have made me very empathetic and compassionate towards really getting to know other people's story and make sure that I'm not judging them just based on what I see in a brief slip of time. I really need to get to understand from a lifetime of their experiences where they are and how they got to where they are today and where they really want to be. So taking them out of that environment and thinking about what does thriving look like for them? What does success look like for them? um, And where do they really want to be in life? And I think that I know that I wouldn't want to be judged based on what people see in a brief moment in time whenever they meet me. And so I try not to do that with other individuals as well. I try to start that dialogue and conversation with people. Tahara Taki, you know, again, we haven't known each other all that long, but in a lot of ways I feel like I've known you a a long, long time. And uh, uh, you are truly one of my heroes. And I I use that expression occasionally, but not that often. And uh, for our listeners, Anytime I'm around Tahara, I always, I don't know, I, I feel a sense of love in my heart, uh, just a, a sense of joy, appreciation, uh, just what a beautiful person you are, uh, how lucky I feel to have gotten to know you, and uh, um, just uh, that, you know, that your willingness to come on the on the download and uh you know, share of your journey, and these things are not easy to talk about. It's it's clear that you've done a lot of hard clinical work, lots of internal work that has to go on, which is very difficult. Hopefully, our listeners, it will give some of them courage to say, uh, you know, I can do this too. I can work on these things, and it takes time. But there's an, a tremendous payoff of, of joy, peace, happiness, 
and feeling good about yourself and spreading that love to those around you. And Tahara, you certainly do that. I watch it, I experience it, and uh, it is such a pleasure to uh, have you as our guest uh, today on the Mental Health Association Oklahoma's uh, mental health download. Well, I just want to thank you, Mike, for allowing me to come on and share my story and kind of what I've learned in my brief um, experience of life so far, um, but also a, a very deep thankfulness to you as well. Um, you have definitely been a huge part of my journey, even in the short amount of time that I've known you. And knowing the amount of work that you do at Mental Health Association and for our community across the state, um, you really do change lives. And something that I hope all listeners um, will recognize and realize in themselves is that you always deserve the best. Um, you always deserve the help that you think that maybe you don't deserve. Um, there, there is nothing written in your life that says that you should be in a situation where you are not deserving of better. And so I hope that you will just reach out and provide support for not only yourself and your family members, but towards other community members across the state as well who also need our help and support. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you, Tahara, and um, we want to again thank our listeners for uh, tuning in to the download, and uh, and we'll be with you again soon. Thank you, Tahara, and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful day and week. Thank you so much. You too.